Acts chapter 28, beginning in verse 17. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was, was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there for two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Thanks, Sean, very much for reading. And I'm sorry to do this. I don't normally point out if there's a problem with the reading, but you did just read it as though it finishes with the words without hindrance. As though Paul in prison is speaking without hindrance. It's an awkward mistake, isn't it? Except that it's not, is it? Sean read that very well for us. The final words of Acts really are without hindrance. But it feels like a typo, doesn't it? Paul has spent the last seven chapters of the book of Acts, over two years in prison. And he's finally arrived in Rome with what he calls the hope of Israel in his hands. But the representatives of Israel in Rome have walked away from him. And at the end of the passage, he's still under house arrest. Kind of two-year lockdown that he's reliant on other people to come to him. And Luke says he's teaching without hindrance. Really? Indeed, that's a question that some of you have been asking me over recent weeks. Lots of this series has been talking about the advance of the Christian message. We've talked about it prevailing. Sarah, who works with students here, is always a help to me in my Bible teaching. She put it very well. She said it doesn't seem like it's prevailing. And that's true, isn't it? Neither here in Acts nor in our lives... I've lost count of the number of ways, even just this week, that it has seemed like the gospel is not prevailing. I'm sure you could come up with your own list. Prevailing, without hindrance, it doesn't seem like it. 
But Luke has not finished his book with a typo. Paul's teaching in the end, really is without hindrance. Uh, He wants us to picture the gospel as a a kind of juggernaut. Those who don't know what a juggernaut is, it's an unstoppable force. I've been picturing the Batmobile crashing through the barriers, for those who'd find that image helpful, or a global brand sweeping across the world. And because we struggle to see the gospel like that, I struggle to believe that it is unstoppable. This passage is, well, it is for us a lens through which to view the world rightly. A lens that is here to give us certainty. Certainty that will drive those of us who are Christians out into the world with boldness as we speak of Jesus. Because the gospel word really is without hindrance. Now that's the first point on the handout which you'll find inside the sheet you were given by the door. Uh, in fact, it is basically a one-point talk. And though I think we see it in a few different ways in the passage. Uh, starting with this focus on Israel. Having spent the last week tracing Paul's journey to Rome, we finally arrive. And as with many of Paul's journeys, he gets to his destination, and the first thing he does is gather the Jews. But when he gathered these local leaders, did you notice how he summarized his journey? No mention of storms or shipwrecks or any of the exciting things that we were thinking about last week. None of the big things we would tell if we were summarizing our journey. Look at verse 17. Verse 17 of chapter 28. After three days, Paul called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they'd gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they'd examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. Paul was bearing the hope of Israel, the long-promised rescue, which the whole nation of Israel should have been looking forward to. And yet it was Israel, the Jews, who had arrested him, handed him over, and objected to his release. The historical people of God, who should have received his news with gladness, responded instead with attempts to stifle it. And now the response from these local Jews is, well, initially it's a bit mixed, isn't it? Verse 27, just across the page. Sorry, verse 21, which is not across the page. The Jews said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it's spoken against. So they come back the next day with even more people. And you can picture the scene, everybody crammed into Paul's living room. I don't know, maybe four people to a windowsill, 12 people to a sofa, and most people just clambering over the floor where everybody is gathered. And Paul spends the whole day doing what he's done loads of times before. Halfway through verse 23, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. In other words, he opened this and he told them the gospel. And what happens? Well, again, it's mixed. Verse 24, some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. There's this disagreement. The people who should have received Paul's news with open arms and embraced it while they were divided over what to do with it. 
And we need to see how big a deal that is. I don't think we tend to feel the significance of Israel in the Bible because our views are naturally clouded by what's going on in the Middle East at the moment. Let me say that is not what we're talking about here. This passage is not about modern Israel. The crisis that continues to develop in the Middle East rightly occupies our attention and our prayers at the moment. It is horrible to see what's going on there. And it is inevitable that it clouds our understanding of verses like these. But this passage isn't at all about the modern state of Israel. It is about first century Israel, ancient Israel, the historical people of God, the people to whom the Old Testament of the Bible was given, the people who had been specially chosen by God. It's not modern Israel. And the moment we leave our concerns about the Middle East to one side and recognize who this passage is really focused on, well, we realize the significance of what's going on here. God's special people were rejecting his message. Can you see why that's a big deal? It's something like, it's not quite the same, but imagine today that the Christian church were rejecting the Bible, if you can imagine such a thing. It's a big deal for that to happen. It surely counts as a hindrance, doesn't it? As a barrier to gospel advance, God's own people not embracing it. But Paul's response, verse 25, Paul made one statement, the Holy Spirit was right. In effect, remember your Bibles, people. This is not a failure of the words. It's not a hindrance of the word. It's actually what the word promised. And he recalls Isaiah 6 and says it's a prophecy that still applies. Verse 26 of our reading, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive, for this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their ears they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. In other words, you have stuck your fingers in your ears for so long, you've made yourself deaf. You've made your choice, and so you are not going to benefit from God's salvation. You face his judgment instead. These verses from Isaiah are big verses in the New Testament. Some of us will recognize them from looking at Mark this term. Others of us will come to them in Romans later next year. And they're important because they help us. They help us to understand the rejection of Jesus by Israel. Most importantly here, it shows us that the problem is not with the gospel word. The problem is with them. They're not going to block the word. They're not a hindrance to it. They're just a hindrance to themselves. I've been confronted with constant hindrances this week in my cycling into work. I was saying to one of the associates recently, it feels like London has lost its mind when it comes to just seeing how the road is supposed to work. Pedestrians always walk out in front of me. I'm sort of used to that, but it's a bit annoying, and it definitely counts as a hindrance. If you catch me just after I've arrived at work, that's normally the worst moment of my day. I'm pretty, pretty angry. But this week, genuinely, somebody was walking across the cycle lane in front of me, as they often do, just a short way in front. And when he saw me, he turned to face me and started walking towards me. Now, let me say, that's, that's a stupid thing to do for a lot of reasons. But at the very least, he is not going to come off better when I crash into him. 
Indeed, if I was really committed to this illustration, I would have gone into him (laughs) to make the point. And you're not a hindrance to me, you're a hindrance to yourself. But I wasn't going to do that. I've got questions actually about how well I would have fared if that had happened. But when someone tries to stand in the way of the advance of the gospel, even when it is the nation of Israel, there are no such questions. They won't stop its advance. They're just a hindrance to their own receipt of God's salvation. It's a point particularly about first century Israel. They have rejected the gospel. Of all rejections, you would think that is a hindrance to gospel advance. But the only thing they've obstructed is their opportunity to be saved. The point is about first century Israel. And yet, doesn't it stand as a warning today? When there are those who reject God's word, it is not a sign that the word is being hindered. It isn't hindered. It won't be hindered. The only thing they've obstructed is their opportunity to be saved. Sometimes I speak to friends who act as though their opposition to the gospel is in some way going to bring about its demise. One of them actually asked me if I was worried that Christianity was basically going to die out because of the rising tide of other views. Do you see what he was suggesting to me? That the juggernaut of the gospel, a word that has remained undaunted and unchanged for 2,000 years, is going to find itself defeated by a form of atheism that it really only has a few decades under its belt. Maybe you have bought into the lie that to oppose Jesus is to stand on the right side of history. If that's you, can I ask you to heed this warning? Your rejection is not going to stop the advance of Jesus' word any more than any of the other attempts of the last 2,000 years have stopped it. The only thing that you will obstruct is your opportunity to enjoy God's salvation. Please don't miss out on the good news that is spreading across the globe. Come and see what precious news Jesus has for you. Come to these carol services we've got coming up and hear what great news it is. No, you can't hinder the word. Instead, the word will go elsewhere, which is what Paul goes on to talk about in verse 28 as he talks about the nations. Let me read verse 28 for us. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Don't think you can hinder this, says Paul. The juggernaut of the gospel. If Israel rejects it, it goes to the nations instead. For every apparent barrier, there is a world of ready listeners. In fact, did you notice the tense of what Paul says there? This salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. The point he makes here in chapter 28 is not predictive. If you do this, I'll do that. It is reflective. You have done this, and it has been sent. Over the last 16 chapters, we've seen the Jews reject the message time and again, and the result has been gospel advance, salvation to the nations. And Paul can say from experience, they will listen, because they have. Not that every person has become a Christian. Unhindered doesn't mean that every person becomes a believer, but that the gospel reaches out to all of the nations and people from every nation to Jesus. Israel's opposition has not stifled the gospel. It has liberated it to go to the end of the earth. 
last night, I went to the soft launch of the Dishoom restaurant in Battersea uh, with a few other people uh, in this room. They had 50% off their food, so it seemed like a good time to go. Unfortunately, it seemed like a good time for lots of people to go. So there was a queue for about an hour and a half heading into the restaurant. Uh, Very kindly, Cassie, who's on the staff team here, reserved a place in the queue for me and the others. So we didn't have to wait for an hour and a half. Uh, We just waited for the last few minutes when we joined her and got in with her. Now, while she was waiting, a man in a suit, evidently on a date with his girlfriend, wandered up to one of the restaurant staff, and he asked, what is all this about? Uh, What is it that you guys do? Oh, it's a restaurant, the guy said, uh, the staff member. We serve Indian food. Indian food, he said. Why would you come to Battersea for Indian food? Why wouldn't you go into Central? And the staff member just looked at this queue, stretching for an hour and a half. Dozens of people very willing to stand in the cold for that long. The man decided to turn his back on the restaurant, scoffing, but there were plenty of people ready and eager to eat there. And if that is true for for some nice food found in Battersea, how much more true for the gospel of the Lord Jesus? We might not be able to see the queue of those who are ready to receive it, In fact, the people we might present it to might be those who are rejecting it, but they're not going to harm its success. For every apparent barrier, there is a world of ready listeners. The word is not hindered. And actually, isn't that exactly what we see with Paul in this passage? You would think, at least, that Paul, under house arrest, is in some way hindered. But instead, we see he ends up with loads of opportunity. Verse 30 He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. It's as though Paul just said, well, put me in prison, I'll speak to a captive audience. In fact, people are actually coming to him and he welcomes them all. As an aside, I think that's quite instructive for us. He welcomed all, i.e. whether they were Jew or Gentile. It's right that when the Jews had rejected his message, he focused his attention on the nations, but he's not given up on the Jews. He knows the Lord might still bring them in. We might change the focus of our witness if we find people rejecting our message, but it's not on us to pronounce final judgment on people. We want to welcome all who come to us and proclaim to them the news of Jesus and his call to repent. And yet the bigger point here is a shift in the way that we think about Paul's imprisonment. Far from being a time of gospel hindrance, it was a time of gospel advance. Indeed, he actually recounted these days himself in his so-called prison epistles. Uh, This was the time that Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians, which we studied last term. And we saw how Paul rejoiced at the way his chains had opened up opportunity for the gospel. His other prison letters, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon, were written at this moment, And they give a similar insight into the ways that God used his time in prison. In fact, those letters are themselves ways that God has continued his advance of the gospel for millennia afterwards. Even here, even under house arrest, the word is not hindered. One commentary put it particularly well. Nothing men can do can stop the progress and ultimate victory of the gospel. And that's such an appropriate lesson for this end of the book of Acts, because it has in so many ways been the lesson of the whole book. 
Right at the start of the book, you might remember if you were here a couple of years ago when we started, uh, Jesus sent out his apostles to be his witnesses in Jerusalem. I've printed it on the handouts. In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. It's been programmatic for the whole book. And as we've seen those regions checked off, each time Luke has given us this phrase, the word of God increased. So for the first five and a half chapters, the word goes out in Jerusalem. And at the end, 6 verse 7, the word of God continued to increase. And after the next six chapters in which the word has broken into Judea and Samaria, well, 1224, the word increased. And after another seven chapters in which we've seen the word of God spread across that final category, the end of the earth, throughout the nations, what do we read? 19 verse 20, the word continued to increase and prevail mightily. The end of each block dividing up the book, this same refrain, the very shape of this account makes the point, the word of God is not hindered. I take it that's why we don't see what happens next. We sort of want to know what happens next for Paul, don't we? But we don't get told about his audience with Caesar, though I take it that happens. We don't hear the outcome for Paul. Church history tells us that he did get out for a bit and spent more time sharing the news around the Mediterranean before he was arrested again and then martyred. But we don't read that here because this is not an authorized biography of Paul. It is, if anything, an authorized biography of the word. And the word never dies. So we can't keep writing it to the end. It is the acts of the risen Lord Jesus advancing his gospel words to the nations. That's why even when Paul was rearrested just before his death, he was able to write the verse that we've been remembering all the way through this evening and printed on the front of your sheets. Actually, it's not printed on the front of the sheet. It's a slightly different verse. My apologies. Just before that verse, I'm suffering for the gospel, he says, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Nothing men can do can stop the progress, the ultimate victory of the gospel. So the application to us is obvious, isn't it? Proclaim with all boldness. If the word really is unhindered, if it really is unstoppable, well, we can share the news with boldness. The gospel is summarized for us in verse 31. Uh, We're told that Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's worth spotting that Jesus gets full named there because that's not very common in Acts. Normally when you get full named, you know that you're in trouble, don't you? William Trophimus Taylor. Did I get it right? No, I'm getting one of those looks. Maybe I'm the one in trouble. Uh, But when Jesus, when Jesus gets full named, it's not because he's in trouble, of course. Rather, it's so that we can hear his titles in full. Lord and Christ. If I can oversimplify them for us. To call him Lord is to call him ruler of the world. God to whom we owe our allegiance. And to call him Christ is is to declare that he is the saviour of the world. The first to rise from the dead, offering resurrection life to all who come to him. Even his name, Jesus, means God saves. The gospel is the wonderful news that Jesus has been raised from the dead, ascended onto the highest throne, and that he offers eternal life to all who turn to trust in him. 
It is a gracious invitation that he has sent out into the world to come and enjoy his kingdom forever. It is a wonderful, wonderful news that we get to share over the coming weeks. And it's striking, isn't it, that of all the things with which Luke could finish his book, it is this simple proclamation of the gospel that closes the account. A book filled with impressive miracles and mass conversions, but we finish with a guy in his house opening up the scriptures with those who'll turn up. Here is Paul in what Luke's readers would consider the capital of the world, but he's doing nothing more exciting than what he did at Antioch or Corinth or Ephesus. It's strikingly unremarkable, which is to say that proclaiming with boldness, it doesn't necessarily mean climbing into a pulpit or sitting in the middle of a town square and announcing to everybody who goes by. Hey, it might mean that, but it could just be, I don't know, are you organizing a carol service in your office? A sharing with friends why you are unashamedly a follower of Jesus? Meeting up with someone to look at a gospel account of Jesus' life? told some of you about a friend of mine who I tried to do that with. And it really was unremarkable, unimpressive. In fact, he was so unimpressed by it to begin with, he tried to sort of bring an end to our friendship. So disinterested was he. The gospel definitely looked hindered. Then when he started to strike up an interest, lockdown happened. And we were really prevented from seeing each other. And yet it was in that context that his interest in Jesus just exploded He asked me if we could meet up to look at the Bible together, first online and then in person when we were allowed over coffee. We'd meet every couple of weeks to look at a little bit of John's gospel. And over the course of two years, I simply asked him to look at Jesus, to consider whether Jesus was someone he wanted a relationship with, whether he was willing to submit to Jesus' lordship. It was strikingly unremarkable. Each of us sitting in front of our computer screens or over in one of the coffee shops on the Marlin Road. And it looked pretty hindered. There were moments when I thought, oh, should I just slightly change this message? Because I think you're not going to be that keen on it. But I knew that it was this gospel that I could have confidence in. Unvarnished, unembellished, unimpressive in some respects. This was the gospel that is also unhindered. And the gospel that, in his case, he came to believe. That's not the same as saying it will come unopposed. It will be opposed. To declare Jesus is Lord and Christ is great news, but it is a call to surrender to his lordship, and many won't want to do that. Some will deafen themselves to it. Some will oppose it. To proclaim the gospel with all boldness might mean, for some of us, leaving a comfortable job in London in order to proclaim the gospel overseas, where you might have to stand up in front of a hostile government and say with Paul, it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. Even if you stay here in London, it may not be long before you have to do that. This is not claiming that the gospel will go unopposed, but that it will go unhindered. For all the opposition that humans can muster, nothing can stop the gospel advancing. Put me in prison and I'll declare the gospel to a captive audience. For every apparent barrier, there is a world of ready listeners. Nothing men can do can stop the progress and ultimate victory of the gospel. And let me say that's been a huge encouragement to me this week. 
Uh, those of you who know me will know I'm a glass half empty sort of person. I was called an Eeyore just a few minutes ago. If there is any resistance to the gospel, uh, my instinctive response is to mourn its failure. There several things this week have made me feel like my attempts to share the word are being hindered. And that's before we think about what's going on more widely across the country, across the world. We can't always see the gospel advancing. We don't know whether we'll find ourselves facing somebody who, like the Jews, is deaf and blind and opposed, or someone like the nations ready to listen. Even where it does bear fruit, we might not see that fruit. But we're given this text as a lens through which to view the world. A lens through which to view the word. Whatever we might be able to see, it is unhindered. And so won't we get behind it? In fact, not get behind it. That makes it sound like it needs a push up the hill. Get behind it. Give it, give it some help. Uh, no, not at all. It's not a push bike. It's not me cycling into work likely to get um, floored by a single pedestrian. The picture is instead of something relentless. The Batmobile breaking through the barriers. A global brand spreading across the world. A juggernaut. Won't we proclaim that? And not just this Christmas, but in the years ahead. In the face of whatever, whatever opposition comes your way. We might end up in prison. Bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Let's proclaim it with boldness. Let me lead us in a prayer. Oh, Father, thank you so much that you are so committed to extending news of your salvation across the world. Thank you that your gospel word is not hindered. And we pray that we would believe that. Please, would you help us to have such certainty over it that we would step out with boldness. Please, would we, like Paul, be ready to suffer anything for the sake of those who might be saved by your message and enjoy eternity with them. In Jesus' name, amen. We have Yvette here sitting on my right and then two Joshes. Thanks so much for being willing to help us think about the impact that what we've been learning in this uh, book of Acts has had. Let's start with Josh at the far end. Josh, just in terms of confidence, um, be aware there are people over to your right as well. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> in terms, uh, you know, we've been thinking about this relentless advance of the Christian gospel. How has what we've considered over the last, I guess, 10 weeks or so helped you to have confidence in that? Yeah, I think a lot of the things that Tim was talking about this evening, uh, the fact that the gospel is victorious in its advance, that we are on the winning side. Um, we saw time and time again how things seemed to oppose the gospel, um, but ultimately the gospel prevailed mightily. Uh, and actually, that's really challenged my own thinking because I think deep down in my head, I, th I think sometimes I feel like we're on the losing side and there's the pressures of the world, the things you see in the news, like the things your colleagues might say to you that makes you just feel like actually this is the losing side. And you become quite apologetic with the way that you proclaim the gospel. Um, but actually what's been really helpful is seeing that 
if you zoom in on the on the details of, of what Paul's doing, it actually does seem like that to him as well. Like he's in prison, he's in a riot, um, uh, you know, he's on trial. But when you zoom back out, you see the gospel is actually advancing without hindrance. Um, and that's been really, that's given me real confidence that just because I perceive or I feel a certain way about the gospel, that doesn't mean that's what's actually happening. And uh, so I should proclaim it boldly. I should be really confident um, with what I'm saying uh, about the gospel. Mm, thank you very much. So we'll come to the next Josh, shall we? That's very helpful. Josh, just um, help us with this same. Have, have you found yourself with greater confidence? This is a question expecting the answer, yes. But have you, have you, have you found yourself with greater confidence? The answer is yes. Um, I think it's been really great seeing that the word is true. Like thinking particularly a few weeks ago when we were looking at Christianity on trial in court and Paul being tested and he's constantly referring to the Old Testament and how that's the long promised scriptures talking about Jesus and Jesus fulfills those those promises. So I think the fact that the word is true and when it's tested, it, it wins and it stays true. So that I think that's that gives us so much confidence to know that because it's true, it can advance and it has legs to stand on. Have you got any examples of ways in which over the last weeks, you know, you've been able to speak to friends and other students and so forth and colleagues and so forth that perhaps maybe earlier you might not have done? Yeah, I think, I'm, so I'm running the Christian Union at my university, Guildhall School of Music at the moment. And for the first few, um, for the first few months, I was pretty scared to actually do events and um, things like Kate for a Question, which we've done for a few years, um, but actually do, doing that a couple of weeks ago and diving into it, knowing that it is the gospel is true and we, we, we can share that with people. We're in a country where we have the freedom to do that and we, you know, the SU is literally paying us to share the gospel with people at, um, at our school. Um, so, yeah, just really taking that step and being clear with um, what the Bible says and uh, Letting, letting people ask us questions and talking about it has been a really great way to, um, I guess, practice that. Yeah, thanks so much, Josh. I get a sense there might be one or two others from the Guildhall School of Music. Is that right? Yeah, there, there are one or two. Yeah, there you go. I thought Represent. a shout-out there was needed. Now, Yvette, just tell us the same question in terms of confidence. Have you found, in what ways have you found this to be helpful? Yeah, definitely. I think... It's sort of a, a cumulative effect, I think, of seeing like across the whole series this term of all these different examples of Paul or somebody else proclaiming the gospel, it being opposed, but then sort of prevailing anyway and carrying on and, and like we've seen. And I think that's made me a lot, um, a lot bolder in general, but I would also say less daunted by setbacks. I think sometimes even when you do sort of feel like you've plucked up the courage and you've had a sort of um a moment of boldness and then the mo- the minute it doesn't go that well or you know something discourages you about it it's easy to then think oh well I gave it a go and I think I think I just found that I felt less much less like that basically that I think that just the examples we've seen have been helped me to well they've they've all faced like there's loads of setbacks like huge ones um in acts and I think that just made me much less defeatist, I think, about about things. Yeah, that's very helpful. And you may want to come back to this. So you've got every 
Now you can say I'll come back to that. Can you think of any particular incidents over the last weeks where you felt, ah, yeah, that's been really striking in terms of setback, and yet the gospel has gone forward? Mm. Um, definitely. I think, I mean, not in this, on the same scale as Acts, but I think, so, I mean, I work in a school and have been trying to set up a Christian union and found that really hard and just sort of sitting in a room by myself for half an hour, like every week. And then thinking that, well, maybe I'll give up and just, or maybe this isn't what I should be doing or whatever it is. And then, yeah, I just think a few, I just don't think in the past that I would have, taking the steps I did to sort of try something else or, you know, send an email to everyone in the school. I just don't think I would have done that before. I don't know what I thought would happen, but... Are you still sitting yeah. in a room on your own? Then? No, actually. Oh. Sometimes oh, there are a, a few Someone, people with me. Yeah. Um, so that's been an encouragement, definitely, that's yeah. What are, you, what, are you, um, what are you doing in the meeting there? Are you... uh, we're just looking at Mark, chapter one, so far, yeah. So just then, on the other side of it, we've also been thinking about how the Christian gospel advances. Is there anything you've picked up on how the gospel advances? Um, Yeah, I think one thing that struck me in the the sermons, I think it was in Acts 16, when there was that moment with Lydia and the description of her heart being opened. Mm -hmm. Um, I think because it's such a simple thing to happen and um, I, I found that just encouraging in the sense of, well, God just opened our heart and that was that. And I think that's been helpful for me just to pray that for people I know, um, that God would open their heart. And in the same way, it's sort of simple. You think, well, oh, that, that could happen. But that's also quite exciting because, well, that could happen yes. any time. So it's that's, a yeah. thing, isn't it? Quiet, unseen the Lord opened her heart to receive the word. It's, it's an amazing thing. And the testimony of every Christian person here this evening, the Lord has opened our heart quietly, personally. Josh, anything on the how, the gospel? This Josh, the one in the... Yes, that's right. How the gospel advances. You may have said it already. Do you want to add anything? Yeah, so, um, so partly through, definitely through the word, as we talk about the true word, um, people hear about it and people understand who Jesus is, why he came. Um, but I was also thinking in the last few weeks about God's role in all of this and how it's not just he's left us here to do it by ourselves and he's given us a text and we just got to share this textbook with the world. Um, he's very much involved in this work. And you see that really clearly in, in Acts, like last week in the, in the kind of parts of the Caribbean shipwreck scene. Um, you see that God is... Um, like Paul's so confident that he's going to end up in, in Rome because of what God said in, in chapter 23. I think he says, take courage for you have to share the gospel with Caesar or something like that. Um, and, and he knows that and Paul, Paul knows that and God's so in that plan. So I think just seeing, yeah, God at the, um, at the center of all the, all of this work. Um, I've even changed the start of my Bible to say the acts of the Lord Jesus or the risen Lord Jesus through the apostles. Um, because it's not their work, ultimately. It's God that's driving the whole thing. So That's excellent. Yeah. So you've written your own editorial comment at the head of it. <laughs> you yeah. haven't actually 
rewritten the Bible. No, I haven't. <laughs> no, no, good. That's, Disclaimer. That's, thanks for that little clarification. That's great. Thanks, Josh. That's really, really wonderful. I don't think I've ever heard Acts 27 described as Pirates of the Caribbean, but there we are. Always a first. Josh, then Josh, how, how the Christian gospel advances. Yeah, so I've kind of been struck by how it's, it's nothing fancy or nothing new. Like even with Paul, it's not any special kind of system or method that he's got, um, but it's, it's pretty straightforward. Um, I remember back in Acts chapter 17 when he was in Thessalonica, um, he was just, um, he was explaining the scripture, demonstrating it and reasoning with them. He was just putting, putting scripture before people, putting the Bible before people. Um, and, and that's what he's done all the way through when he's on trial, whether he's, um, just meeting with people for the first time. It's just putting the word before people. And that, that's given me real confidence that I also don't need to do anything fancy. There's no special, special thing that's required. But actually, I just put the Bible before people um, and preach that very simple thing that Jesus is Lord and he's risen from the dead. Um, 